0: Hello, American government and civics. Welcome to Unit 2's test review. The test review can be found on E-Class. Uh, be sure you're getting the work done for Unit 2. Um, those assignments that are posted uh, are going to be due on Tuesday, the 6th, the day we test. The review can be found on E-Class as well. It's in the activity feed, so if you want to have that document while I go over this stuff, uh, that might be helpful. All right. So uh, the first thing says the United States Constitution establishes a federal system of government. And the question then is, how is a federal system of government described? So just know and remember that a federal system of government is where multiple governments share power and authority over the people. So for us, in our situation, uh, you have the national government, those individuals up in Washington, D.C., Think of our Congress people, our president, uh, that they can make rules and laws that we have to follow. They have powers over us. Then we come down to our state level, Georgia, uh, and you have a governor. You have a state <clears throat> state Congress down in Atlanta that can make decisions and laws and policies that affect us. We could go further, local, city, all that kind of stuff. But we're going to stay at the federal and state level because that's really what we're concerned with in this class uh, is that difference. All right. Uh, next up is what is a power of the legislative branch? Uh, and their main power is to write the laws. That is their job. That is their goal. Um, and that is what they're supposed to do. They have a few other kind of like side quest jobs where uh, they monitor uh, bureaucratic agencies with oversight and things like that. But at the end of the day, the main goal is the leg- of the legislative branch is to legislate, write laws. Uh, enumerated or express powers is defined as what those are just all the different uh, powers that are written that are, you can go to the constitution, go to article one, section eight, whatever it might be, and you can see something that Congress can do. For example, uh, an enumerated power is the fact that Congress can coin money. It is written in the constitution. You can find that passage in the document. It is expressed. It is expressly given to the federal government. Uh, let's see. In order for an amendment to be added to the constitution, what must happen to, to, to the proposed amendment. Okay, so uh, it has to be ratified. Uh, an amendment is a federal example or federalism example in that, and, I, and I'm just throwing kind of federalism in there as a side note, uh, because you've got proposal happening at the national level. Either Congress or a national convention can propose an amendment. All right, uh, and then once they have approved that proposal, it goes to the states to ratify. But that's the next step, uh, is for states to ratify it. A government principle by which the legislative, judicial, and executive powers are essentially held by different groups and people is called what? Uh, That is a callback to some stuff we talked about in Unit 1, which is going to be the separation of powers. All right, remember Baron Montesquieu was very concerned about one person, one branch, having all the power, all the authority. And so, uh, that is something that U.S. government and the framers worked hard to do. Which person is considered to be the leader of the National Executive Branch? Hopefully that's a pretty easy one for you. That is the president. What is an example of an implied power of Congress? So there's a couple already. My favorite example is the National Bank from back in the day, uh, many, many, many years ago at the start of our country. So the Constitution specifically says that Congress has the power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, and borrow money on the credit of the United States. Okay, that's what it actually says. That is the enumerated expressed section from Article One, Section Eight. It does not in there say anything expressly about the creation of a national bank. All right. Um, however. Um, Alexander Hamilton, who was the Secretary of the Treasury at the time, uh, believed that the National Bank was an implied power because it was needed to carry out the enumerated powers of taxing, borrowing, and regulating commerce. Hopefully that makes sense to you, okay? So once again, it doesn't say anywhere in Article 1, Section 8 that Congress can create, or the national government can create, a national bank. However, the argument is, in order to carry out the enumerated powers of taxing, in the Article One, Section Eight, borrowing in Article One, Section Eight, and regulating commerce, they need a bank, and so therefore they can create one. And so that was uh, that's the that's my favorite example because I'm a U.S. history person. All right, what does Article Five of the Constitution explain as it relates to the amendments? It's just the amendment process. So if you think back to the Articles of Confederation. It took 13 out of 13 states to make an amendment to the Constitution. The states were not doing this. In fact, several amendments were proposed during the Articles Confederation time because the Articles were so bad at governing. All right. There were some amendments to uh, increase the uh, tax, uh, to, to make it where the, the national government could tax the states, uh, among other things. And they always voted it down 13 out of 13 is a very high bar so they wrote into the constitution very specifically hey here's article 5 and this is going to spell out the process now we've already talked about this i'm not going to spend too much more time here but article 5 spells it out Uh, it's a proposal at the national level so congress or the national convention and you need two-thirds of the the members to say yes to a proposal And then once two-thirds have said yes, it then goes to the states for ratification. So every state legislature or a state convention gets a hold of this thing. They look at it. They vote on it. If they say yes, then that's a yes in that column. If they say no, then that's a no. All right, but you need 38 yeses. Three-fourths of the states have to say yes uh, to get this thing done. Now, that's still a pretty high bar. We haven't had many amendments throughout our history. So keep that in mind. We've only had, you know, 17 since the, the Bill of Rights was was. Created, so it's not something that just gets done, and it was cre- it was made that way because the framers they wanted to make it easier than unanimous. Right? unanimous is a is like the bar, uh, and they wanted to to make it easier, but they didn't, also didn't want to make it so easy that just anything could be added to the the Constitution on a regular basis. They needed to have some standards, some kind of regulation. So that's why they reduced it from thirteen out of thirteen or whatever the the unanimous number would have been, you know, as we progress through our history, uh, to the two-thirds. Because still, a decent high bar to propose, and then three-fourths, a high bar to ratify and sign it, but not undoable. All right, I'm going to take a break and be right back. All right, welcome back, American government civics. Uh, We're going to wrap this thing up. uh, On my side, I got them on the back, so I I printed this thing out, and I'm on the back of this. Um, But... If you're looking at it on the computer, then you might not have a back. You might just scroll to the second page. Anyways, whatever. Uh, All right. So the question is, why can the United States government be described as a republic or be called a representative democracy? All right. The framers created a republic. That was their goal. Pay attention to the Pledge of Allegiance the next time you listen to the Pledge of Allegiance uh, during Eagle Time or something like that. Uh, And you'll hear it say, hey, I pledge allegiance to the republic. Not to the representative democracy. However, at this point, we kind of are—we kind of call them the same thing. They're interchangeable at this point. Uh, And so, all this is—is where the people, me and you, constituents, citizens, whatever you want to call us, uh, elect people to represent us to make decisions for us. All right. So that's what a representative democracy is—is just us going to the polls, electing people that will make decisions on laws, policies for us. What is the fundamental source of authority of the United States government? That would be the Constitution. That is going to be number one. Uh, all of these, and then it lists out some things, checks and balances, separation of powers, rights of the accused, are characteristics of which type of government. Uh, that is going to be ours, okay? The republic slash limited government, all right? Um, it is going to, to be one that where the government does not have absolute authority. What is considered to be the supreme law of the land? Well, that's going to go back to the Constitution. How does a system of checks and balances <clears throat> excuse me, protect against the, an abuse of power? So the fear was that one of the branches, the presidency, the executive, I guess, what do I say? The legislative or the judicial could take on too much power and become a, a tyrannical government, basically, where they wield all the power. And so the checks and balances were created where if the executive branch, our president, begins to do stuff uh, that's too much, that's beyond the scope of their power, Congress can always step in uh, and challenge that, and they would do that through maybe like an impeachment, okay? If Congress is going beyond just writing the laws, the president has the ability to step in. The president can veto laws that the president deems as unnecessary uh, or too powerful or whatever it might be. So the checks and balances were created to try and stop uh, one of the branches from becoming too powerful. What was the main effect of the supremacy clause of the United States Constitution? So remember the articles, and I know I keep saying that, but just remember them and how weak and poor they were as a government. All right. Um, They couldn't do anything. They had There's a long list of things that they were supposed to do. They were supposed to take care of the the debt balance. They were supposed to uh, negotiate and mediate between states. And and just there was a long list of things they were supposed to do. However, they had no authority to do any of it. All the authority was left to the states. So uh, I think I told you this or you saw this. Maybe I can't remember. Uh, But the first year, the Articles of Confederation needed money. And so they decided to tax the states. However, they didn't have the power to actually tax and force the states to pay. So they requested $5 million from the states, total, from 13 states. I'm not sure what the breakdown is there, uh, but that was the request. They got $400,000 back. back. Okay? Georgia didn't pay anything. So the framers recognized and realized, hey, we need to put something in this document that is going to make it to where uh, the government that we are creating, this new national government is number one. And so they created the Supremacy Clause. The Supremacy Clause lines up up the the pecking order, basically. Hey, number one is gonna be the Constitution. We always gotta come back to this document. This document is what we base everything on. And we've had two questions uh, in this review that said, what do we go back to? And it's the Constitution, all right? Then they put next up is going to be the uh, federal laws federal laws and policies. So national laws, national things like that. Uh, then they get into treaties, court decisions. Finally, they get down to the states eventually. But the supremacy clause was just made to try and back up the authority of the national government. Now, a key case, we don't really talk about it too much. And it, to me, it seems like it gets forgotten. But the McCullough versus Maryland case, uh, it centered around the Bank of the United States. So we referenced that. Uh, And the the bank was being challenged by the states because the states didn't think the national government had the authority to do this. All right. And so that was one of the questions Uh, in this case. And the Supreme Court uh, is going to say that, yes, national federal institutions supersede the states. And just this just this decision was such a huge decision because just think about had the Supreme Court come back and said, yeah, you know what? That whole supremacy clause thing where uh, national government things are uh, below the states. Yeah, or excuse me, above the states. Yeah, that's not valid. Well, now all of a sudden the states would have have had, you know, free reign to just do what they want to again. But the Supreme Court backed up the supremacy clause, which was super important to this new government because the McCullough versus Maryland case was in like 18... 15, something like that. So, right when we had just been created. All right, describe concurrent powers. Concurrent powers are powers in the federal system where uh, the federal government and the state can do it. All right, so the federal government has powers uh, and the states have the same powers. The easiest one is taxes. We have a federal tax, we have a state tax. So, if you're working here in Georgia, you pay a federal ta- income tax, you also pay a state income tax. Uh, other things like um, enforce laws and things like that uh, are all going to be concurrent powers. What is the power of the judicial branch? Well, they judge the laws, they interpret the Constitution. All right, that's so their their main job is to back up the Constitution and make sure that the everything that the every law that is challenged is constitutional. So they judge. Uh, what are the first ten amendments of the Constitution called? And give an example of one of the amendments. So. On this test, you do have to know specific amendments. So I'm going to go through uh, the Bill of Rights very quickly, as quickly as I can, all right? because you did a whole assignment uh, on this. So hopefully, you're fluent in the Bill of Rights. Uh, the first one is the First Amendment, and this is our personal freedoms. It lists five freedoms. Okay, uh, it lists the freedom of speech, the freedom of press, the freedom of religion, the freedom of assembly, and the freedom to freedom to petition. So all five of those are in the First Amendment. The Second Amendment right is the right to bear arms, okay? So you have the right to to own firearms. The Third Amendment is the no quartering of troops cannot be forced to house soldiers. So if someone shows up to your house and says, hey, I'm a soldier and I need a place to stay, you can turn them away. The Fourth Amendment is no unlawful search and seizures. The police cannot search you without a warrant, without probable cause, or your permission, okay? That is something that is protected there. The Fifth Amendment is the rights of the accused, so you don't have to incriminate yourself. This applies to if you're being detained by the police. They cannot force you to answer questions. At your trial, you cannot be forced to testify and say something that might incriminate yourself. The Sixth Amendment is your right to a fair and speedy trial. So think of all the things that go into a trial, uh, the right to a jury, right to counsel, uh, confront your witnesses, so on and so forth. The Seventh Amendment is the civil side. So that is where you have been sued or are suing something, suing someone, excuse me. Uh, you have a right to request a jury trial. The Eighth Amendment protects you from cruel and unusual punishment. So uh, you can't be put in jail for 30 years for stealing a, a big Q from Quick Trip. The Ninth Amendment protects us as citizen citizens and allows us to do things that might not be listed in the Constitution. So as long as the Constitution doesn't specifically deny us something, then we're typically allowed to, to do it. And it, it don't think we can just do whatever we want to because of this. But just because it's not listed in the Constitution doesn't mean we're not allowed to. So my favorite example is travel. It doesn't say in the Constitution that we're allowed to travel. It also doesn't say in the Constitution that we're not allowed to travel. Therefore, we are allowed to travel because of the Ninth Amendment. The Tenth Amendment is the same thing, but for the states, as long as the Constitution doesn't specifically deny states something, then they're allowed to do it. It's called the reserve powers. So, for example, the Constitution specifically says the only people that can declare war is Congress. So Georgia can't decide we want some beachfront property and go attack and declare war on the Bahamas. We don't have that power and authority. However, it does not say anywhere in the Constitution anything about education or marriage. So Georgia can do what we want to with education and marriage. Okay? Uh, And then the final one, what is the difference between a reserve power and a denied power? And give an example of both. All right. So I just mentioned the reserve powers. Those are those things from the 10th Amendment. OK, um, <clears throat> excuse me. The reserve powers come from the ability of the states to do things as long as it's not denied. So once again, you know, we can't declare war, but we can regulate education. We can regulate, uh, not regulate uh, marriage, adoption, uh, all those kinds of things that aren't listed uh, in the Constitution. All right, um, and then denied powers, okay, um, that is going to be something that's prohibited, all right? Uh, and so think of the first 10 amendments that I went through just a few minutes ago. Um, you know, The government cannot stop you from criticizing the, the, them. They can't come in and, and stop you from getting on your social media and say, man, the government's doing this, and I really don't agree with that decision, and, and you can critique them, and they can't stop you. Okay, so taking away your free speech would be a denied power. They're not allowed to do that. Uh, The unlawful search and seizure. They can't come and just search you, okay? So reserve power, uh, we said uh, the education, marriage, things like that. Uh, Denied powers are basically all those things in the 10th Amendment that the government can't take away from you. All right, guys, Uh, just like last time, the test will be on E-Class. So bring your charged Chromebook to 7th period. Uh, If you need to take it early, I know a couple of you have like work base and things like that, Uh, come early. Tuesday morning, like not super early, but sometime during the the morning before Eagle time. So I can send a request uh, for you to come during Eagle time and take the test. Uh, We'll do test corrections like last time where you'll retake the test. Uh, And yeah, there we go. All right, guys, best of luck. And I'll see you when I see you. Take care. Bye-bye.